Profiles in Teaching with Technology is a podcast series created by Music First, a company dedicated to providing world-class cloud-based tools, content, and classroom management platforms to music teachers around the world. Each episode features a K-12 music educator who uses technology to enhance their teaching in innovative ways. We'll discuss the what, why, and how of their technology integration and hopefully share some teaching strategies that you can use in your own classroom. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. There you'll be able to find out about all of our platforms, as well as sign up for a free 30-day trial. Following a degree in music and education psychology from Surrey and a PGCE at Kingston, Nick Duff started his teaching career in Surrey, which was where he really learned his craft as a music teacher and became fully involved in all aspects of musical life in the school. It was also here where he had the opportunity to build a music studio from the ground up, standing him in good stead for regenerating technology facilities in his future schools. After working his way up the ranks to head of faculty in an inner-city London school, he has also taken a sideways move to become more closely involved in SEND students, exercising his passion for helping children with special needs and English as an alternative language whilst breaking down barriers to accessing music. Throughout his career, he has had a firm belief that music exists beyond the classroom and has MD'd over 50 shows, conducting many varied ensembles, and has performed in all the major London venues. Nine years ago, Nick moved to Worlingham School, where he is now head of music. The department is now thriving with a challenging and adventurous curriculum offer, supported by three staff and a large number of Perry staff. Fundamental to his teaching style is a belief that every child can access music and every child has the opportunities to express themselves, enjoy individual and collaborative music making, and succeed in a supportive and safe environment. Nick maintains an active interest in performing and composing himself to maintain and develop his own musicianship. So this week, my friends, I have a very special guest who's coming us coming to us from quite a distance away. I met Nick Duff uh, a couple of weeks ago at the Music Education Expo in Islington, which is in London, in England. And uh, Nick came up to our stand, and I remember him clearly saying, music first saved my life. And I immediately said, we got to get this guy on the podcast. So Nick, thank you so much for agreeing to do it. And it's great to have you on, on the show. Thank you. I'm really delighted to be involved with this. That would be great. Yeah, oh, that's terrific. So um, you are the first British guest of the season, season five. So um, a lot a lot of American people, uh, music teachers specifically, listen to these podcasts. Uh, we do have a British audience, too, that's that's uh, sure. that's really strong and uh, and and dedicated. However, a lot of the American folks don't really understand everything or the differences between the two, um, you know, the way music education is taught in the UK and the and the way music education is taught in the US. Before we get into any of that, um, I would love for you to give a quick kind of five, 10 minute snapshot of your career, basically how you got interested in music, how you got interested in teaching music. You know, university first gig and and where you are today at the Whirlingham School. <laughs> Blimey, and um, that's quite a tall order to start with. Um, you could do it, I'm sure. 
Um, so yes, I'm Nick. I've been um, teaching for 28 years, but I've been involved in music since I was about the age of three. I, I vividly remember my dad having ABBA records uh, on <laughs> vinyl being played constantly around the house and the Top of the Pops compilations that were a huge thing in, in, in England at the time. And I remember my god godmother had given us a, a, a given the family a piano. And I used to long for those times when mum went to work when I was a little bit older, that I could just go sit and bang away on the piano and make up loads of crazy random noises. Right. Um, so can I suppose my piano was my first love? And then um, my dad bought me a trumpet. He actually sold his old Honda 50 motorbike, push bike, and, and exchanged it for, for a trumpet. And I was about six. Wow. And, and I, I don't remember ever not having it by my side even still to this day it's it's actually next to me on the table here while oh, well. doing this interview because I'm because well. I need to practice tonight for a gig I've got next week and, <laughs> that's awesome and, and I think I was very very fortunate in the UK that we we had loads of fully funded um, music services um, in in our county um, I was given free trumpet lessons um, and I was uh, allowed to uh, you know to join not only through school, but through the county council, um, orchestras, bands, choirs, I was singing, believe it or not, um, big bands, jazz bands, uh, brass quartets. And suddenly by the time I got to the, about the age of 14, I thought, uh-oh, my life is now dominated by, by mm. music. Right. Um, I wasn't particularly sporty, so sport was never really my thing. And I think I just fell in love with music. And I think it was around that time, influenced by a, a great peer group at, at school, um, at the age of 14, 15, of this thing called a CD came along. Mm. <laughs> and hearing things like Watermelon Man by Herbie Hancock for the first time. Wow. Also listening to the complete extreme on the opposite side of the scale, listening to things like um, Susudio by Phil Collins and thinking, wow, this is great. This is this production, this quality was really strong. Um, so I think I think I knew by the age of 15, by the time I took my GCSEs, that um, music was my thing. I was right. very fortunate. I had great music teachers at school um, and encouraged me to play, um, by which point I was probably travelling quite a lot, playing in different brass bands, a very stereotypical kind of northern ensemble mm -hmm. um, in the north of England. I should just clarify that. Um, playing in youth orchestras, traveling, touring, going all over. Um, did A-level music, um, went off to university in Surrey to read music. Um, I actually did music and education psychology. I, oh, cool. I, had no, I had no interest in being a teacher at that time. Genuinely no interest. Right. Um, I couldn't imagine anything worse, but I just, I loved psychology. I'd always had a big um, interest in about what makes people tick musically. Um, so I graduated, um, by which point I was living in London um, and playing extensively with not only university big bands and orchestras, but also doing gigs with bands and um, freelancing and um, sitting in on West End shows. And I think that's when it clicked that there was no going back. This was, this was in my blood. Right. And, <laughs> <laughs> and it's been my life ever since. I did do my teacher training course, which is a, a year's um, on-the-job training through Kingston University in, in Greater London. 
and then started teaching in Surrey, which is Southeast uh, UK. Um, and that's where I learned my craft as a teacher and became fully involved in, you know, all aspects of, of education and school life. And it was there when I had the opportunity to be given a, a tranche of money to build a studio. Having spent many of my formative years working in studios, this was clearly like utterly delightful to be right absolutely a huge sum of money um and i remember spending hours poring over sound on sound magazine mm. doing my research making phone calls to companies to find the perfect desk the perfect setup and, and i remember when the the day this mackie 32 channel desk arrived and these two adat machines so this is how old this studio was and being completely enthralled by this this opportunity um, and it was it was a few years later when I, I moved to another school where that they, they said right so let's let's get some technology in, and I was like yes let's get a studio let's get some PCs in running Cakewalk. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but suddenly technology was taking over from my performing, and, mm. and I thought oh I've got to be careful here because I do love playing the trumpet, playing the piano, playing guitar, playing bass, playing drums, whatever. Um, but the technology thing was st really starting to kind of take a hold of me. Um, and and I, as I've moved through different schools, different roles, um, I was heavily involved working with SEN, uh, special educational needs students, mm -hmm. and found that those students who have very complex needs, and for the vast majority, uh, English as an alternative language, music was a great way to break down those barriers, um, which meant that they could access not only music, but also access the curriculum because they had the, the, the social skills, the confidence. Um, I'm also a, a firm believer that music exists beyond the classroom. Um, I love being a musical director and I've ended up over 50 shows. Oh, wow. I did and performed with many varied ensembles, performed with students and, and got my students to perform in pretty much all the major London venues now. Um, and working in central London with um, children who were faced with so many social barriers to getting them out to see in the shows, to getting them involved in performing in concerts. Uh, the Royal Festival Hall was my most memorable one. Wow. Um, running a whole ensemble performance there was, was is truly inspiring. I think it's at that point I thought, I really love doing music. Um, and I love the technology and the impact it had. But I kind of refound my own self-love and self-worth of the subject mm. um and i moved schools about nine years ago to a school in uh surrey um it needed a complete overhaul and that's right. what i've pretty much done throughout my whole career um i've now got a department that's thriving it's got a challenging adventurous curriculum offer We've got three staff. We've got loads of peripatetic staff that come in to teach everything from drums, violins, guitars, and voice. Um, we teach from 11-year-olds up to 18-year-olds. Okay. Um, and music is compulsory for 11, 12, 13, 14-year-olds, and then they get to choose it for GCSE, maintain great numbers, maintain excellent results. And then when the students are 16, 17, 18, they can choose to do what we refer to as A-level music, um, uh, which is an academic A-level with class predominantly class Western classical music. 
but also the BTEC in performing. I absolutely love those, the working with the older students who want to be there and who have that drive and that passion. Um, but throughout whoever I'm teaching, whatever students I'm teaching, my, my teaching style is the belief that every child can access music and yeah. every child has the opportunity to express themselves. Um, I really value that they can work individually, they can work collaboratively, but they know they can do it in an, in a, in an environment which is supportive and, and ultimately safe, where they can make a million mistakes. Um, when we're using the technology, for example, using Cubase and NoteFlight, they can click the undo button. But when yep. <laughs> it comes to performing, they've got one shot, they've got one chance, they've got one great opportunity. Um, and, I, and I value and foster that pressure that kind of is exerted upon a performer. Um, but we do it in such a safe way that actually they really respond to that. Um, I still play. I still play my trumpet in numerous big bands. Um, I still compose. I'm still arranging music for uh, school orchestras, bands, choirs uh, on a regular basis. And I'm really inspired by the students that I teach who will walk in and say, sir, you must go listen to this band. And right. they'll give me a random band and I'll be like, okay. And I will go sit in the office and hop on um, a streaming service or YouTube and have a listen to this band and think, hey, they're pretty good. That keeps <laughs> on. Yeah. And, and that really fires me up. And it kind of keeps my interest in the current popular music scene uh, alive. Having come through a, a couple of very difficult years in education and um, through the pandemic, we're starting to see this um, attitude in students that want to be there coming through again. Right. Students that really genuinely have found a love and a passion for music, that are going out to gigs, that want to go to visit studios, that want to go do gigs, go see the shows in the West End of London, see how it all works. And that active interest is is really inspiring for me as a, as, as a musician, but also as a, as a teacher as well. That's fabulous. Uh, okay. I knew I knew I liked you. Uh, so <laughs> the minute I met you, I was like, "Oh, this guy's pretty cool." Uh, you sound like a Pied Piper uh, type, where <laughs> you know you're you're trying to get every kid in the school involved somehow, and that's and they're very lucky to have you. Um, Thank you. Thank and it's you so really, much. really, really a lot of things. A lot, you know. It, the funny thing is that probably none of us went into music thinking that we'd end up as teachers i i went in yeah. i'm a tuba i'm a tuba player i similarly i played in brass bands here in the u.s trying to emulate the northern uh brass bands i've been to many many <laughs> concerts uh so my uh, my mother is from witness uh and so it's i have yeah. northern i have northern blood uh, and i love yes. i love that uh, tradition of brass bands but you know i went in wanting to be a tuba player and then tried to uh, you know living right outside of new york city tried to make took a year to try to play gigs and only, you know, play and see if I could make a living. And it's a very, very tough town as a tuba player. Uh, to so I so I kind of fell into teaching, you know, I, I was very thankful that I had an undergrad degree in it, but it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't the first thing I thought of. And, and interestingly, Nick, when you were talking, it's only been recently where the tuba has come back out of the bag after a very long dormant period. <laughs> 
Um, and I'm, I'm starting to play in community bands again and starting to remember, I mean, I have a corporate job, so I'm, 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 I have been out of the classroom for 15 years, but it's wonderful to put that mouthpiece up to your face again and remind yourself why you got into this career in the first place. So uh, it's really great to hear that you still have the performing career, the conducting career, you know, and you, and you've got another foot in education and technology. So it's a really, uh, perfect combination in my opinion. I, um, I genuinely can't stress enough that the, the, the value of picking up my instruments um, two or three times a week, going out to rehearsals and gigs, it's 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 amazing. We talk so much about mental health and well-being. Yes. Um, but actually, the buzz I get on a Monday night going to a big band, even though I'm getting in late and got a full day the next day at, at work, but actually picking up a trumpet and playing is great. Mm. And I come home last night, I didn't go... I've been home for a couple of hours, but I was still wired. Um, and I hadn't had that for a number of years. Yeah. And actually, to kind of get that buzz back again about playing, it's it's a fabulous feeling. It That's really, great. Really is. It's the best buzz in the job. It really is. I, I hear you loud and clear. And and uh, as I get older, so I'm in my, I'm, I'm, 50, I'm 52, I'm, I'm getting up there. The older I get, the more I want to play my horn, which is just bizarre. So I, and I, and by the way, I know many music teachers that I've met who are exactly the same way as the closer they get to retirement. Not that I'm retiring anytime soon, but the closer you get there, the more you're like, I need to reconnect with why I did this whole thing in the first place. In the first place. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So you're at the Warlingham School. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, can can you describe what that, I mean, you, talk, you talked a little bit about, you know, what age students are involved, but what uh, what does your music program look like? What do students have the ability to do? Um, you know, from because here in the U.S. we are primarily a performance-driven curriculum, so sure. that at the what you know you teach what we would call middle school and high school. You it's key stage three, four, five, and then GCSE. Yeah. Um, I my understanding of the U.K. schools is that it's not so performance driven that there's a more comprehensive approach i would love for you to kind of what are the courses you have three faculty what are the courses taught there at your school sure um i'm really fortunate that i work in a school where the senior leadership team support music and have given me a very a designated performance listening composing area my own building um, we've even got our own kitchen, which is an absolute blessing. You can go nip in and make a coffee. Mm. But we are very much on our own. And having that space and that air to breathe has given us the opportunity to really venture out into some um, interesting components. We don't run like the American band system, but we do performances in our performing space. But we perform uh, in small pairs using keyboards small groups using ukuleles um, we do a lot of djembe work we do a lot of singing but i'd like to do more singing um, but we also do whole class performances again using the uh, using xylophones um, so this is a class of 32 year 11 students who are playing pakavaz canon in six or seven parts oh wow um, <laughs> then students who play things like clarinets and flutes come in and bring their own instruments in as well and we have guitarists playing the chords so we do have that 50% of our lessons are performance based, but we always kind of start the, the performance through listening. And therefore we listen to a, a lot of music on a regular basis. Mm. 
sometimes extended questioning about the the key elements of music that they can hear sometimes it's just more of an inquisitive nature so, right. so what, what is that sound describe that sound as opposed to identify the instruments right so we you know we try and broaden out our our offer um really broadly yeah. i'm also really fortunate that we through a lot of blood sweat and tears and um breaking people's fingers we do have our own dedicated music it suite oh wow um, which i can access um for composing and um, we've got 32 pcs they're very well specced we use uh cubase on them we've just got cubase 12 uh, coming coming through online over the easter easter break great um we use ableton live and we've got awesome awesome it's been ableton push units um really fortunate to get some nice some beautiful focus right sound cards um a couple of years ago um scarlet focus uh, right scarlet and yes they're, they're absolutely fantastic i have one sitting right in front of me i love them absolutely beautiful and they're kid proof Sorry, yes <laughs> in possible way, they are very solid chunky little units yes that, um, that can take a lot of student student activity and they survive so when we uh, use the PCs, we we do use uh, uh, focus on sound, and we use note flight for notation across the whole eleven to eighteen age group. We alternate between using Cubase and Ableton mm -hmm. for composing. Um, this resource is very well used and very well loved. Um, the students that we teach genuinely have. Uh, a kindness that we are not giving them some app off the app store that's cost 59p right this this is a, a genuine huge financial and emotional investment in using cubase and ableton and focus on sound etc and um, because they're not cheap and my school is very very keen that we have that real life skill that the most up-to-date software that we can get valued software that in the industry everybody is using professionals are using Ableton and professionals are using Cubase on a PC. Um, and I'm a passionate believer that if we don't give the students the best that is out there, they're actually not going to gain anything from it. And therefore yeah. their love of the subject is going to diminish. And um, so I am really, really fortunate that we do have that level of support from senior management in keeping the software up to date and it's real life skills that students are doing. My uh, my de my department at lunchtime is is just crazy because there's yeah. hundreds of kids knocking on the door saying, "Can we come and use Ableton, sir, sir? I, yeah. I, just, need to, I just need to do my focus on sound home learning. Can you, can you just give me a quick hand with that note? Honestly, it's 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 bonkers. We don't get a lunch break. That's um, yeah, that's that's yeah, that's great. <laughs> and I'm also really lucky that I've got a number of little breakout rooms where students can go off and and rehearse on their own instruments and where my peripatetic staff can come in and teach as well um so yeah we are very very fortunate our program is focused on life skills um and again it's something i'm passionately uh, believe that we should be ensuring that every topic that we teach has a benefit for life mm. so whether that's a musical skill or if it's a social life skill um I think music's one of those very, very fortunate and very few subjects where we can benefit from knowledge and mm. personal skills uh, in equal amounts. So if we're going to do some singing, for example, I always make sure it's something that's 
either, well, I have it as a classic, something really relevant and up to date, and something that inspires the students, usually from a musical or uh, music theatre or some, a film. Right. So we always try and get it from what the teachers would like the students to do, what the students would like to do, and what the students think they'd like to do, but they don't actually know it yet until they've done it. Right. Um, and trying to approach it from three angles is great fun. We engage with our diverse community through um, studying music from around their world. Um, they they actively inspire us to want to go do more. Um, our programme changes every year. We react and we respond to changes in the curriculum, to the advice that comes from our central government. And as we find new topics and new resources, we, we kind of jump on it and get on with it. Um, we don't allow projects to get stale. We refresh our curriculum to meet the ever-changing needs of students. Um, funnily enough, I was talking to a colleague today and she said, um, do you have a samba set in school? <laughs> no. Um, right. I think maybe next year we should we should look at doing a, a samba set. Yep. Um, uh, doing samba music with them. So I think that'll be really engaging for them with rhythm and with dynamics and with tempo. And I was like, I haven't done samba for 25 years. <laughs> um, and I was a little bit nervous and a little bit apprehensive. So I thought, right, okay, let's 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 face this head on. This is a new skill set for me. I haven't done it for donkey's years. My memory recall is going to be really, really pushed to the limit. <laughs> so let's find some resources. Let's go outreach to, to our music hub in the county council and see what they've got on offer. Um, and straight away, we've got a new set of resources and something ready to run next year that's different. I think that's important that you stay on top of constantly changing, constantly keeping the, the students interested and maintain that and um, kind of like deep love of wanting to do something a little bit different. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's crucial. That's crucial in, in how we do our uh, program. That's great. I, I love the idea, Nick, of being flexible enough and responsive enough to the needs of the community that you teach. Sure. Um, rather than saying, well, this is the set curriculum and you're going to learn it whether you want to or not. And you know, the flexibility that you have. I think a lot of teachers are afraid to do that, to be so flexible to change their curriculum on a on a on a year-to-year -year basis because it's a lot of work. You know, if you say, well, let's get a samba set, okay, that the actual hard part happens with all right, well, how are we going to actually teach this and implement it? It's you know, it's one well, thing to have the instruments, it's another thing to write curriculum around it. But I always found that that's what kept the job interesting, engaging. I'm talking purely personal, mental health, and professional growth standpoint. That 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 adapting a curriculum like that actually makes your job a lot more fun uh, and and mentally yes. and intellectually <laughs> stimulating. You know, like you know, rather than getting in the same rut, doing the same thing over and over, and feeling like oh, I don't know how much longer I can do this. Well. I just love the approach that you have there uh, and your students are, are obviously very lucky because, you know, it, it could be that one year they're learning this thing and the next year it's completely DJing one year and uh, Latin music the next. So I, I love that approach. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I think you're right for our own sanity and our own professional development. If, um, if we just did the blues as a project every single year, right. year in, year out, I, I would lose, I would lose my own love of, yeah, that 
the blues and, and yep. you know I love blues and jazz as, as, across many genres but right. I think it's really important that we don't lose our own love um, and therefore we have to react and respond we, we know we've been through a pandemic and um, for a good couple of years we, we've lost those the innate skills of being a musician and right well, you know we, we changed our curriculum as soon as we came back in into into the music department to make it accessible for all to get the social skills built up and we're already seeing a huge huge impact oh, that's on great. students in music who are much more positive but also much more able to take constructive criticism to be able to respond to feedback to listen to their peers to communicate and be a bit able to compromise when they're working together because we, we all miss that yep yeah so I'm going to get a little philosophical on you and ask you what your take is on on the role of music technology in a school music program. Gosh, um, <laughs> <laughs> I think in this uh, day and age where the technology is changing so rapidly, and when students' own lives outside of the classroom is technology invades every aspect of their life I think it's really really crucial that education keeps up mm. um, and that is hard and that is really challenging for education to be as on the ball as the students are right we'll never be ahead of their game they'll, all, they'll always have one upon us on you know as old is um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hear you and <laughs> um, we try our best um, but yes when when the technology changes so fast and um, We've got to give them that, that technology. Um, we are a, a school community that does not use um, mobile phones in, in lessons. And um, so we are limited to, well, selfishly limited to Cubase, uh, sorry, limited to PCs right. and limited to iPads, both of which are uh, amazing tools to have in, in a classroom. Um, Cubase 12, Ableton 11, are the two packages we're using very heavily at the moment but this this is cutting edge this is the the real kind of bread and butter of what the music industry is working with if granted if i had max then we'd be on logic pro i, I would love that but we right. don't have Mac, so we're stuck on pcs hence cubase right um but these packages are allowing students to use a, a much higher level of, of, of software than probably most schools would allow their yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Far better processing powers and the, the the projects that you could therefore run, for example, using Cubase is is limitless, really. Yep. Um, yeah, I've just said about the downside of the inability to use mobile phones, technology and lessons. It would be great to access some of the mobile phone apps um, and see how we can use them to greater effect um, and see how we could use those as a teaching tool. But there are limitations on some of those as well. And we also don't want students to be having their phones out in lessons because it, it right. can be truly uh, a negative, could have a negative counter, counter, uh, yeah, counterproductive. Absolutely. I mean, and and isn't it nice for the kids not to have those phones in their hands for a few minutes a day? <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, you know, I was just thinking, I really ought to say at this point, it's great that kids don't have their phones out. <laughs> yep, yeah, uh, you know, it's it's the most addictive device, I think, ever sprung on humanity since oxygen. So it's a, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's really it's it's nice that there's 
sometimes where they put their devices in a locker and, and spend the day doing something else. So I, I love your approach. I love that, uh, the role. I, can you describe for our listeners some of the music tech projects that you do with your students? Yeah, for sure. So year seven, so 11-year-olds have been through um, junior school. They've probably not done a great deal of music. They've right. probably done very, very little. So the first thing we do is we actually sit them down on note flights and we talk about crotchets, quavers, pitch, rhythm, dynamics, and moving to different tempos. And we get them to create um, melodies, get them to just experiment, twiddle around, uh, and have some fun with trying to engage with this thing called listening to what mm. they've created. And that's a skill they probably haven't developed, is their ability to hear something they've just played. Right. Um, use that's the true power of technology it lies within that instantaneous nature and um, being brought up in an education system where a computer was a very rare thing a very very rare thing actually now for students to be able to sit there and create and edit something within a few strokes of a keyboard and that instantaneous playback and to be able to create and manipulate is 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 important this current term, Year 7, have been using note flights um, to compose their own canon, very, oh, very similar to Pachelbel's canon, which they'd done as a whole class performance on uh, xylophones. Next term, um, Year 7, so these are 11, 12-year-olds, are going to be going on to Ableton 11 mm. with Ableton Live push units. Um, we are going to be talking about loops, hooks, riffs, patterns. and Electronic dance music is all dance music per se is just the personification of, of hooks, riffs and loops. Yep. So let's get them while they have no or very, very little kind of um, fear of what it might be or what it might do. We want them to engage with it on a, on a really human level where they can hear it, they can work with their partners and they can engage with that um, in, a, in, a, in a really cohesive sense. Year eight, so these are 12, 13-year-olds. We have been using Cubase to do, uh, we gave them a load of stems for a blues rock piece when we oh, were cool. studying blues. Uh, we said, make an arrangement. And we literally left it like that. And we wanted them to experiment using Cubase. We wanted them to experiment with our uh, copy and paste and click and drag. Um, and we wanted them to take risks and say, no, this doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Well, I'm listening to it. And that, that guitar is not in the same time scale as the, the bass. So what do you need to do to fix it? Oh, well, I need to click and drag it back like half a bar. But that whole intuitive process is amazing. I've never had mm. classes that silent when all you can see is heads nodding up and down. And then like a moment of like exasperation. No, no, it doesn't work there. <laughs> That's great. They're communicating and they're saying, but don't, don't put the drums in yet. Let's hold the drums. Let's wait for that gong to come in before we kick out with the backing vocals. And then because we've got the, the really nice sound cards, we said, here's a microphone. Why don't you record yourself singing those backing vocals? Mm. And that's when the penny drops for most of them. That the exactly. Now, no longer just an arrangement project. They're able to compose and add their own parts into it. Um, the, other, the other one that we use Cubase a lot for is... Um, film music we give them a trailer we have a range of trailers from everything from harry potter to james bond and um, we give them again the stems 
we only give them a few because we want them to actually play in some of those themes right. which they really really enjoy and then they can manipulate edit it um, move it around into fitting it in with the um film trailer um I, ironically it's always james bond that is the most popular of course uh, <laughs> that's great I don't, why, I don't know why but it, uh, irrespective of gender or background or anything um it's always james bond that is have, the students have the most fun with i think that's a, a true britishness Yes, is, is the whole James Bond thing. That's fantastic, um, and and the students uh, enjoy that. The other project we do with Year Eight again on Cubase is uh, advertising. So we give them fifteen to sixteen thirty second adverts for products. Oh, they cool! Have to create using sound effects, bass lines, hooks, riffs, chords, patterns, and um, their own music to these adverts. And That's we great. do get the truly bizarre students that plug in a microphone and play with a kazoo. And you have <laughs> other students who will explore thousands of sound effects of um, whales, humpback whales as, as a background. And over the top, they've got the sound of a fire engine in the background and using you know dimensional processing so they can hear it in different parts of the stereo field. And um, once they get exploring that, they're hooked. Yep. Um, we, we also use... Um, um, to underpin all of that, all the theory, the knowledge, um, and we are a knowledge, we have a knowledge-based curriculum, um, and certainly education in, in the UK over the last few years has moved towards that education, uh, knowledge underpinning the education. Right. Um, and that's where we're really fortunate with folks on sound, because that underpins, well, what's this sound, sir? Well, go look it up on focus on sound. Yep, okay. yep. And, and they're in. And they're delving in and out. And I really like this clip here that I've just heard on Focus on Sound. How can I manipulate that and use that in my own composition? So oh, that's it, works great. Both, it works both ways. Um, it also serves a function that we can set from them home learning tasks. We yep. can use them as starter tasks. Um, my exam classes are dipping in and out. One girl said to me, what's a belt? I was like, sorry? What's a belt? I said, oh. Oh, it's, a <laughs> it's a singing technique. Oh, okay. So I said, log on, folks. Yeah, I'm there. Yeah. She was already there. She was already looking at different. Oh, that's great. Um, that's great. And we were talking about pizzicato and arco with some of the younger younger students. But go log on. Let's go find out. And I really like it for some of the slightly drier topics like cadences. Yeah. Um, researching composers like Beethoven. It, Focus on Sound gives them a, a great potted context, but without overloading um, the students. Yeah, I love that. Um, that the, the role of, of technology is, is crucial, whether it's just like supporting a performance, playing, playing back, backing tracks, doing podcasts, um, but also actually being used in the technology to create uh, a composition, to create a piece. Right. Um, a, we're, we're really fortunate. We're really fortunate with how rapidly technology is changing. Yeah, that's wonderful. I, I, and I love the the kind of the the holistic approach to, you know, using the different tools for what they're best at. So that's that's fantastic. Yes, now, very much so. I, I have two more questions for you. I'm looking at the clock and seeing that we're almost out of time. So I, I do want to get these in. The first one is, Nick, what advice would you give uh, to other music teachers who are thinking of incorporating technology just in general into their curriculum, into their programs? Oh, a really nice short answer for this. 
do it. Do it. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Go, and, go you play can... around with the tech first. Go. It's the best CP. It's, it's the best uh, professional development you'll ever have. Find out who else in your area is good at the software. Invite them in. Get get different schools in to work together. Use the social media to find out what's going on. And, and it helps engage with the industry. Get people who are doing this on a day-to-day -day basis. Get them in. Find out what skills and tech they have so you can then use it to inspire your students. And uh, certainly from a UK point of view, don't let money ever be an issue. There are, you know, we're very fortunate in the UK that we have lots of funding agencies that will support new new technology. Um, but go do it. Technology is crucial. It's the, it's it. the way forward. All right. So my final question for you is is my my favorite one to ask, but sometimes it's a difficult one, and that is the magic wand question. So Nick, if <laughs> if you could wave a magic wand and have Focus on Sound or Note Flight or any of the software that you use with your kids or the tools that you use uh, and could make it do something different, what would it be? Heck, that's a question and a half, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. Uh... Right, I think I'm speechless for the first time tonight. Uh, that's this. great. If so I could maybe, if I could wave a magic wand, what would I like from Focus on Sound, Music First, or Music Tech in general? Yeah, um, certainly on Focus on Sound, more up to date, um, pop music, EDM, mm. um, keep it as relevant to the top forty as possible, both in the UK and the US. Um, I know one of your colleagues, Matt, will be dreading me saying this because um, he knows that I've asked for this quite a lot. And we have done, there has been a lot of EDM put in recently. Um, big music events such as the Grammys, the Brits, the Oscars. Right. How about collating resources together for, for example, if there's an Oscar winner, um, doing a quick quick quiz, quick straw poll about who's going to think they think is going to win the best Oscar for the best motion picture soundtrack. Ah. Um, and then build a collection of resources together that's based around those. Um, we have a, a big thing in the UK called cultural capital, um, and it's incorporating like all, all the social skills, all the wider community, um, and kind of incorporating those fun elements of music into our wider world and, and sharing that. And something like the Brits, the Oscars, uh, the Grammys is a great opportunity. I absolutely love your answer. And Nick, I can tell you that over the summer, we're going to be building quite a bit of content. Uh, in Focus on Sound Pro, and relevancy and timeliness uh, will be top of the priority list. Um, so nice. it's actually why I asked the question, because the, the great part of what we do at, at a, with a product like Focus on Sound uh, is that you don't have to re-burn the CD. You don't have to go and recode <laughs> it. We, we've built a platform that's, that we can actually add the content to relatively easily. It just comes down to licensing the right type of music is the is the license available. Sure, sure, yeah. I get that. Yeah. Anyway, Nick, absolutely fabulous to talk to you. I can I can see why uh, both uh, Richard Payne and Matt recommended very strongly that I speak <laughs> to you. Uh, I, I look forward uh, to hearing more from you. And, and the next time over in the UK, when I'm over in the UK, we'll have to get together for a pint or two. Oh, definitely. You'd be more than welcome to come over as well, to come over to the school and see how we use it all. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nick, for spending some time with us. I appreciate it. Thank you so very much, too, as well. All the best. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to Profiles in Teaching with Technology from Music First. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. 
If you would like to stay up to date with other music teachers doing innovative things in their classrooms with technology, please subscribe to our podcast through whatever outlet you listen to podcasts on. Thanks for listening.